Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for April 7th, 2019. In today's study of the scriptures, we see how in the midst of tyranny, persecution, and a pre-Hitler Holocaust, God's chosen people had a choice to make. Would they succumb to the pressure surrounding them and violate their covenant with God? Or would they honor his word in adhering to the ethical, civil, and religious responsibilities God directs his people to obey? Join us as Pastor Olu asks, what are the biblical principles we've purposed as foundations of our belief, behavior, and thought process? What is our posture dealing with others in the world we live in? And what is our position after examining our faith in or out? So turn with us in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11, verse 22. Daniel chapter 11, as we look before, this is a historical book from where we are looking back, where Daniel was at the time looking forward, it is a prophecy. So he's going through and he's telling, God is telling him through the angel Gabriel, what are those things that are going to happen based on the children of Israel in the future? And he gives them that understanding of what's going to happen to prepare them. And we looked at how Daniel chapter 11, because of the accuracy and the prophecy, goes one step further in showing the sovereignty of God, how that God is in charge, how that God makes decisions. Not only does he understand the future, but he controls it and things are moved so that his will will always be enacted. So Daniel chapter 11, we went through what happened from Alexander the Great. Then I got split off into the four kingdoms. And then we wrapped up looking at the end of verse 21. I'll read 20. Then shall arise in this place one who shall send an exacto of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. And we talked about that the last um, king there would get a tax collector to go tax the children of Israel. And then that tax collector would end up killing the guy. That's what we ended up last week looking at the things that would happen. Verse 21 introduces us to a guy that we've seen before. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into details about him. But if you remember, he was Antiochus Epiphanes. And remember, he gave, his, he gave Epiphanes as his name. He gave that, himself that name. But he was Antiochus IV, or Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was the worst king, the worst uh, person over the children of Israel at that time. If you remember, I'm going back to my old notes, that when we were going through Daniel chapter 8. Um, I tell you what, let's read 11 and then we'll go back to 8 uh, um, and see some of the things he did. So Daniel chapter 11, verse 21. In his place, so after that king, shall arise a contemptible person. Talking about Antiochus. The fourth and a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. He shall become strong with small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the providence and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war. Remember, the king of the south is Egypt. 
shall raise war with an exceedingly great army, but he shall not stand, for a plot shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. 27. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at this appointed time. 28. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. And at the time appointed, he will return and come to the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Some Bad stuff going on here. And I don't know if you guys remember back when we were in chapter 8, we were looking at Antiochus and we talked about how he was fighting and he went down to fight Egypt. We read, those, we read it in those verses again. He went down to fight against Egypt. He got mad when he got down there. The ships of Kittim came and Rome showed up. I don't know if y'all remember Rome showed up and said, listen, that's enough of this. Go back. You're done with the fighting. And he was angry. He was mad. And he threw a temper tantrum. So he came back. Remember where Egypt was? I'm, I can't draw this. Um, but I'm still going to try. That's Africa, okay? Uh, this is the peninsula, and this is uh, Asia Minor, and that's India over there, and this is Crete, and this is Rome. Looks like a boot, right? This is Egypt. This is the area Egypt had. So that's the king of the south, and this is all of what Antiochus had, the north. And so he had to pass through this area, and we know that is Jerusalem. And so when he was down here, Rome came and said, nah, you're done. Go back. He got upset. And as he went back, he threw a temper tantrum and he went through and he began to kill and murder and slaughter the Jews on his way back home. And we talked about that and we looked at Daniel chapter 8. So you can go back and look. Uh, he killed on that day 200,000 Jews that he killed. So he was a bad guy, the cruelest tyrant of his time. Uh, remember we talked about him. He made the coins and he put God on the coins. So he called himself Antiochus the God. He came down as enemy of the Jews. He was trying to Hellenize them, turn them into away from following God and the things that God has told him and to follow the Greek culture. He had, when he came back after that fight, we talked about how he had no more tolerance. He destroyed all the copies of the Torah from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He destroyed all the copies of the Torah. He forbid them to observe the Torah. Don't read it. Don't do what it says. He's going through Israel doing this. Matter of fact, he sold the high priest's position twice. And so the high priest followed the line of Levi. God ordained. God said, you'll be next. You'll be next. He showed up and said, later for that, who want to buy the priest? You got some money? You give me the money, you become the priest. So all this wicked stuff was going to the fact that he commanded the Jews to eat pork. Remember, that was one of the things that God told them not to do as his people. I don't want you to stay away from these foods. He told them, you will eat these foods. You will disobey God. You will not circumcise your children. And matter of fact, you're not even going to serve God. And so he took an image of the God Zeus, one of the Greek gods, Zeus, put him into God, the holy Jehovah God's temple, set him up and say, okay, Jews, now go to your temple and I want you to bow and worship Zeus. And if you do not, I will kill you. And we look at history and it says during that time, that's when he killed 40,000 Jews in one day. Think of 40,000 people getting killed in one day. Not in a war, but because they wouldn't listen to him and dishonor God. 
And so we can look at historians. When we talk about these historians like Josephus, who wrote about all the stuff that was going on during that time, all this vicious wickedness that was going on during that time. And then we talked about how his life ended when he went into a temple and he sent a guy to the temple and said, yeah, sacrifice his pig. And the guy was like, OK, I'll do it. And then the priest that time, one of the holy priests of God came in and was like, nah, we're not doing that. And the guy was like, well, I'll do it. And the guy was like, no, we're not doing it. And so as the guy went to try to sacrifice the pig, the true God priest took his sword and gently placed it inside of his body. Gently, just nice and slow. And that was the end of that. And that's when the wars broke out. The Maccabean wars broke out. And they came and they destroyed and they defeated Antiochus and all that stuff went on. But during that time, think about the persecution. We talk about uh, in our country, we don't really have the same amount of persecution that other countries have. But think about the persecution they were getting. Got a Bible? Give me that Bible. Rip, burn. Who are you praying to? You better be praying to this God Zeus. You praying to Jehovah God? Okay, well, you're dying, and your wife is dying in front of you, and your children are dying. This was what was going on. And so the Jews, those who love God, were under some tremendous, I don't even want to say tremendous pressure. I don't even want to call that trials and tribulation. I don't even know what to call that. That's something that we've never seen in this country, or we in our generations have never experienced what they were going through. But what I like about it is when we get through all that pain and suffering and hardship that was going on, all that murder and all that abuse that was going on, we get down to verse 32, back to Daniel 11. And he says, he, talking about the king, talking about Antiochus IV, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. When I read that verse inside of what was going on, it really stood out to me. Because think of all the things that was going on. The murder. Think of all the hardships that was going on. The slaughtering of innocent people. All the things that was going on. No more reading the Bible. Nope, you can't read the Bible. And if we catch you reading the Bible, we're going to kill you. No more worshiping God in the temple. And if we catch you worshiping God in the temple or in the church, we're going to kill you. No more obeying what God says. I mean, that's basically what he said. God said, don't eat this food. You eat it, you're going to eat it. God says, make sure you, you circumcise all your children. Nope. God says, make sure you live a certain way. Nope. I want y'all to go out there and, and, and get drunk. I want you to go out there and beat up somebody. I want you to go out there and kill somebody. I want you to go out there and lie. I want you to go out there and adultery. I want you to go out here and do this. He was forcing them to do the exact opposite of what God was saying. Forcing them. And if they did not, they were dying. So I asked myself, Olu, if you were living during this time and Antiochus Epiphanes came up and said, I want you to go against everything that the Bible says. I want you to do everything that God says not to do. I want you to do it. And I asked myself, would I be alive or would I be dead? Because the question becomes, where do I hold my belief in what I believe? See, when we use or we heard the word belief. In the Bible, we see in the New Testament, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. A lot of times we take the Bible and we use these words and apply them to our own vernacular. I believe that, you know, Jordan is one of the best NBA players. I believe it. We can get into conversations and debate it. I can go back and forth with you, but I believe. I believe that I'm decent in basketball. Decent. I believe it. But I lose constantly. Sometimes I win, but it's a belief. And so we think of belief like, oh, yeah, I, be I believe. In the scriptures, when you look at that word belief, that word has the idea 
of a type of trust that I will bet my life on it. That word has the idea that I am willing to die for this. That's what belief means. And so when someone says, when the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means I am willing to die for this thing I call Christianity, this thing I call a relationship with Jesus. I am willing to die. That's the question. And that's always been what it's about. Jesus even said it. He said, you got to be willing to forsake your mama, your daddy, your brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, forsake your own life to follow me. But a lot of times we get so comfortable in our Christianity that I can do my love Jesus and still do this. Or I can love Jesus and still be this way. Or I can love Jesus and still act like this. Or I can... And because we, we attached all these comforts to it when Jesus says, no, this thing is about death. Do you really believe this stuff? If push comes to solve, somebody had a gun to your face. Do you really believe this stuff? That's what the question comes down to. And so during this time, as the children of Israel, as God's people were going through all this stuff, don't do this, do this, or we will kill you. There were some who said, well, God, I understand. Sure. Where, where's the pork? I'll eat it. What do you want me to do? You want me to kill this person for no reason? Sure, I'll do it. I mean, you're the king and God will understand that I can be disobedient to God because, you know, God wants me to be alive and I should be able to be alive because I have freedom in God and I should be able to. And if I'm dead, who's going to tell people about it? who's going to take care of my children? I've got to do this. And so what happened was there were some people who compromised. There were some people who said, you know what? This is too much. I ain't signed up for all this. I ain't signed up to get killed, <laughs> you know, during this time. I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm just going to fall in line with this guy who's totally against God because, I mean, my goodness, it's more comfortable that way. And by comfortable, I mean, I will still be breathing. And so when we look at verse 32, it says that he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. And so we got a two separate people here. There's people who, according to this, violate the covenant. Two groups of people. First group of people are the people that violate the covenant that it says that this king will seduce them with flattery. Violate means to act wickedly, to be wicked, to be guilty, to be condemned. Matter of fact, it means to be guilty in a civil, ethical and religious way. And so they decided to violate civilly, ethically, ethics and religiously. These three ways. The covenant. And when we talk about the covenant, what we're talking about, the covenant is what was signed between God and man. Okay? And so it was the covenant or the promise between God and man. And so when we look at the covenant, we're talking about what God said he was going to do, what we promised God we will do. And so when we look at the covenant, we're looking at the word of God. We're looking at what God said, how God's going to operate. And so there was a group of people who decided that they were going to be wicked against what God said, and they were going to exhibit, when you look at that word in the Hebrew, violated in a civil manner, in an ethical manner, and in a religious manner. And so these people that we're talking about were on this side of the fence. And then if you look at verse 32, it says, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And so we get another group of people in this uh, uh, Daniel chapter 11 that was going on during the time. We got the people that violate the covenant, but then we have a second group of people that the scripture says, people who know their God. And it says what they do. The people that know their God shall stand firm, I love this, and take action. 
What I like about that is when you look at the original Hebrew, <laughs> the word there, they don't, there's no action there. It's just do. It said, the people that know that God shall stand firm and do. We're going to get to that. I got excited when I saw that. And so we have a group, group A, people who violate, who are wicked toward the word of God, civilly, ethically, and religiously. And then we had group B. And they, were st- they stood apart by the people who knew their God. They know their God, and they decided to stand firm, and they decided to do. And so when we look at that, the question becomes, okay, two groups of people. One went with the king. The other ones did not. What stood that up? I looked up the book of Maccabees. When we talked about there's some books, uh, some historical books that are out there. The book of Maccabees, and it kind of talks about what happened during that time. So I'm read this, First Maccabees chapter 1. It says, in those days, so this is a historical reference of what was going on during that time. In those days, there appeared in Israel Jews who were breakers of the law. They acted wickedly toward the covenant. And they seduced many people saying, let's go and make an alliance with the Gentiles around us. Since we separated from them, many bad stuff has happened to us. Many evils have come to us. The proposal was agreeable. Some from among the people promptly went to the king and Ticus to forth, and he authorized them to introduce, watch this, the way of living of the Gentiles. And so these people who said, forget the word of God, they went to the king and the king said, OK, cool. Welcome. Now I want you to go and learn our ways, the way of the Gentiles, and then go out and try to convince your family members, your brothers, your sisters to follow not God's way, but to follow the way of the Gentiles. Thereupon, they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to the Gentile custom, and they covered the mark of their circumcision and abandoned the holy covenant. They allied themselves with the Gentiles and sold themselves into wrongdoing. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted this religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. These were God's people. These were people with a rich tradition of knowing that their great-great-great-grandfather was in Egypt. And they came through the Red Sea and God kept them and protect them with a pillar of fire and with a cloud about them. And God kept them from the enemies and God kept this small country to be in this country. They saw all of this. But when push came to shove, when the hard times came, when the stress came, when the pain came, when it came a position of time for them to make a decision, they decided, you know what? It's a lot easier to go this way. So forget the covenant. We're going to civilly disobey it, we're going to ethically disobey it, and we're going to religiously disobey it. And matter of fact, we're going to try to get God's people to stop living like God's people and start living like the heathen. Because it's okay. Unfortunately, we see that today. There's not too much distinction from God's people and the people who are not God's people. Not a lot of distinction. What is it that sets you apart? What is it that sets me apart? If somebody outside is looking at me and I'm evaluating myself and say, okay, what sets me apart from them? And I'm not talking from a a legalistic point of view of that I'm better than that person. I'm saying that we need to look inside ourselves, not even what we do, but how we think, how we live, how we make decisions, how we choose the things we do. What sets me apart from those who follow Antiochus? This was the new Babylon, world engines. This guy was saying, I want to set up my kingdom, this Greek culture. I want to set up my kingdom and I want you to start living like you in my kingdom. And I want you to start getting your friends and family to live like my kingdom. God says that your kingdom is not here on earth, it's in heaven. So you need to follow my word. These people, group A, said that we're going to violate the covenant. When we look at violating ethically the covenant of God, ethical means moral principles that govern a person's behavior or conduct or activities. 
To be ethical has concern with the principles of right and wrong in behavior and the goodness or badness of human nature. And so when we talk about ethical, we're talking about what are those principles that are the foundation of how you act, how you think, and how you make decisions. We talked a little bit about that in the first part of Daniel. Remember it says Daniel purpose in his heart? Daniel had principles. That means he had a list of things that I am going to do these and I'm not going to do these. And so no matter what situation comes to me, I'm going to first look to my principles and say, okay, you want me to do what? Uh-huh. Okay, well, let me go bounce that against my principles. Here's my principle list here. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Nope, that violates this principle because I made a decision when I was younger that I'm going to do this and not do that. So you want me to do this? I can't because I'm looking back at my principles and saying that doesn't fall into that. So I can't do that. What's it you want me to do? Okay, let me check my principles. Mm, oh, that is, that's principle number 6C-4. Yes, let's go do that. That's what being ethical means. That means that you have taken some time to make a decision in your mind of what you will and will not do. The time to make that decision is not when it's pressed on you. Hey, what you going to do now, man? Oh, let me think about it for a minute. No time for that. You have to make these decisions, have your principles set up way before you get into the situation. Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's meat. The three Hebrew boys said in a little bit chapter before says that we know that if we don't bow down when the music starts, we're going to get killed. But whether we kill or die, we will not. You do what you got to do, king. We will not. Why? Because they had a principle. They had made a decision that they would not do that. Job, I like Job says, and I love this verse. It, it helped me out a lot when I was younger. Job says, I will not. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Think about that. That's crazy. He said, I made a covenant. I made a promise with my eyes that I will not look lustfully upon a woman, that I will make sure that my eyes are going to look through the eyes of God. I made a covenant. Before I seen this chick, I'm writing down a principle. Make sure that I treat women with respect and I honor them and I look at them as God is looking at my little sister. Bam. So when he walked out into the world, he lived by his principles. What are your principles? What are those fundamental truths that anchor your belief, your behavior, and your thought process? I challenge you to make a list. Get a sheet of paper one day. Today. So you know what? I haven't written down my principles. I'm going to write down my principles. I'm going to write down those things that I'm going to do and those things that I will never do. And I'll make sure that my principles are bounced against what? The word of God. That's our foundation. That's where my beliefs come from. That's where my behavior comes from. And that's where my thought process comes from. Those people decided they were going to violate, go against God civilly. Why? Because they fell into this category. We don't want to be in this category. I mean, ethically. Civilly, the word civil has to do with how I relate with ordinary citizens or how I relate with other people, to be courteous and to be polite, how we treat one another. I love when I get a chance to go to this verse. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, turn with me there. I don't know if you've seen this verse before, or I don't know if I've brought it up before. But in Ephesians chapter 4, 32, we're talking about civilly. These people, to violate, that word there in the Hebrew has to do with going against civilly, ethically, and religiously. And so we're looking at how did those people act while they were in, not Babylon, 
They were actually home now, but they were surrounded by these heathen nations. Civilly has to do with how I treat one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind one to another. So be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's a little song that goes with that. It says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, do, 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 for God's sake, has forgiven you. Do, 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 do. Oh, you know it. Ah, uh, yeah. Be kind. Am I kind? Because I don't want to be in this group of people who decided they were not going to be kind. But am I kind? Am I tenderhearted? Is my heart tender? You know what tenderhearted means? You know, let's say you go to a steakhouse and you get a, I like my steaks well done. Ray is trying to convince me to do less, but I'm, you know, a Christian. I, I couldn't think of nothing else. <laughs> well. I don't want to see any red, any pink, any hue of any color other than brown to black inside my steak. Now, sometimes those steak comes out a little bit, but I'll deal with it because there's no blood around. Tender means, you ever had a steak that you could cut with a butter knife? You just sit the thing and just put the knife on top and it seemed like the knife just by itself floated into the steak. It was steak so juicy you didn't have to chew. You just put it in your mouth and it would just go slide down your throat. That's tender. That means pliable. That means I can move it. That means I'm not hard as a rock. That means I'm not every, every time it bouncing off of me. No, bounce, no, 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 no. I'm tender. Tender-hearted means that I have a heart. Remember your heart when I talk about the do 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 do. We talking about the inner you. We talking about the person who makes those decisions. We talking about the center of your choices, the center of your decisions. The Bible says that in Christ we're supposed to be kind, but also tender-hearted. That means that my heart is soft toward other people. You heard that phrase, you got a soft heart. You know, what's, the, what's another phrase about something like that? I can't remember. But they got a soft heart toward that person. My heart is tender. We as Christians, we as followers of the covenant, the Bible commands us that I'm supposed to have a tender heart to other people. This has to do with not just people I agree with. This has to do with people I don't agree with. The Bible says I'm supposed to forgive them. This is what the children of Israel were not doing, those who decided to line up under Antiochus. They said, we're not going to do ethically. We're also not going to follow civilly. So I'm not going to have a soft heart. I'm not going to be tenderhearted. I'm not going to be kind. I'm not going to forgive when people hurt me. This also has to do with not only how we treat people who don't agree with us, but how we treat people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who are different than us. I have a responsibility, according to the word of God, if I'm going to follow the covenant, that I do that. How are you addressing your civil responsibility? We have a responsibility in this world that we in. We've been this, this whole series about Daniel is titled Under World Engines. We have a responsibility to be in the world and to interact with others in the world, to be kind to them, to be loving to them, to be tenderhearted toward them. Matter of fact, our example should be like Jesus. Jesus was in these streets. Jesus didn't stay in the synagogue the whole time. He didn't stay in the temple. He didn't stay in his house. 
He was in the street. Every time you read the Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus was here. He was there. He walked up to Capernaum. He went down to Judah. He went to Jerusalem. He was over here in uh, Samaria. He, he was always moving, interacting with the people around him with a soft and tender and loving heart. When we get into the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 is such an incredible story because of the boundaries that Jesus was breaking. We're talking about civil. What's my responsibility with the people around me? Ethics has to do with me. Ethics has to do with am I lining up under the word of God and the covenant how I think? So I have some principles that I, Olu, I'm going to act like. Okay, The things I'm going to do or not going to do. When we talk about civilly, this is how I interact with other people. When we look at Jesus as the woman of the well in Samaria, Jesus broke some barriers there. First of all, the gender barrier. Back in those days, men didn't talk to women and women didn't talk to men. That's how things were. That's how the world was. Jesus walks up. And he walks straight up to the woman. Hey, how you doing? Hey, can I get some of that water? Matter of fact, the Bible says in John 4, when the disciples came up, they were like, hell yeah, so yeah, man, that was crazy. How Jesus took the fish, man. He just ran from the river. Whoa, 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 whoa. It, is Jesus talking to that lady? Oh, snap. Oh, snap. What are we going to do? He's talking to a woman. Oh, snap. It was crazy to them. It was foreign to them. Why? Because that's not how we do things. Jesus came along and said, forget all that. I have a civil responsibility to interact with this woman. I don't care if she's a woman or a man. I have a responsibility to do that. Though that's not the norm, though I'm told I'm not supposed to do that, though it's uncomfortable, though no one else is doing it, though it's easier not to do it, Jesus said, I'm going to do that. He also broke through the geopolitical and religious barriers. She was a Samaritan. So the Samaritans were Jews who mama was not a Jew, or Jews whose father was not a Jew. And so they had intermarried and had these people who were half Jew, half something else. And the Jews, oh my goodness, we don't do that. We don't mix the races. No, we are God's chosen people. And if you decide to marry someone else and have a child, that child's abomination. And so we don't talk to them. Jesus rolled right up on the woman and entered a conversation with her. He didn't care about what the geographics were about where they were from. He didn't care about the political time or what's happening in politics or, or I took on, turn on the news and it says I'm supposed to be scared of these people. Or I turn on the news and it says I'm supposed to look out for these people. She didn't care about none of that. She said I have a civil responsibility because of the covenant. The word of God tells me that I have a responsibility to be a world engine. And so he rolled up on that woman. He got into a conversation with her. He even got into those theological barriers. She had a certain belief. Remember what she said? Our people believe that you should work up on this mountain. You people believe. She was like, forget all that. <laughs> I'm not here to get into a theological argument with you. There's a problem here and it's with your soul. And I'm going to address that. I was reading on that and I thought this was real cool. It says that Jesus looked at the Samaritan woman as who she was, an image bearer. Bible says in Genesis that God made us after his own what? Image. Image. And so every single person, saved or unsaved, black, Spanish, white, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Mexican, Honduran, Vietnamese, Indian, Aborigine, Canadian, Fijian, all around the planet. We are created as images of God. 
And so each one of us has the image of God in them. So we bear the image of God. So we are image bearers. When Jesus looked at the woman from Samaria, he looked at her and he saw that. What's that reflection off of her? Oh, that's God. She's got she's an image bearer. Well, she's a woman. She's an image bearer of God made after God's image. But the geopolitical say we're not supposed. She's an image bearer of God. God made her after his image. And so I have a responsibility civilly to interact with her because I don't see her as a woman. I don't see her as a Samaritan. I don't see her as she believes the theological belief different than me. I don't see her that she's from a different place than I am. I don't see her that we don't talk the same. We don't look the same. I don't see her as that. I see her as an image bearer. Our responsibility, church, is to see everybody as God sees them. And when I do that, my response to them change. It's interesting because we, we see a lot of different people here in Florida where we live. You know, you go down to some areas and you like you go down to Miami or even some areas here. You know, you see the Haitians. The Haitians run into place. And there's a certain culture that comes with that. And unfortunately, there's a certain stigma that comes with that. You know, you go to a certain area and there's a bunch of Puerto Ricans. It's a culture that comes with that. And there's a certain stigma that comes with that. You go down Pine Hills, but you're black folk. It's a culture that comes with that. It's a certain stigma that comes with that. I come out here and sometimes I'll be sitting in the Cracker Barrel and I see the people that's coming to Cracker Barrel to eat. These white folks with, with, with camouflage boots and pants and hats. And, and, and it's a culture that comes with that. And it's an image that comes with that. And sometimes I catch myself looking at these people at the image that I see instead of the image of God that's inside of them. Our responsibility is to do that. I saw an interesting meme the other day. It had a, um, a Muslim woman, woman, and it had to her in her garb and all black on and you couldn't see her eyes and she was covered herself. And it was the meme was like, we see this and we think, oh, she's oppressed. They're holding her down. She can't, she can't put the clothes she wants to. It's just so terrible that the men will make her do that, how she is. And then right beside it, it had a picture of a nun. And the nun had on the exact same thing, except this part was white, but everything was exactly the same. And the comment was, oh, look at that woman. She has dedicated her life to God. She has forsaken all the earthly things, and she is so in tune with God. And how we look at nuns like, oh, praise. And we look at Muslims like, oh, my goodness, she's oppressed. But it's how we see. We made decisions as an image of how we look at people instead of looking through all that stuff. Our responsibility is the body of Christ. So not violate the covenant from the word of God. We have a civil responsibility like Christ did. He went right up to that woman and he engaged in her. What was his conversation about? Her soul. It was about anything else. Like, hey, you're on your way to hell, ma'am. You need to start living right. Because there's one God, okay, where you live at. And he understood that and he went right into that. Do we see people as image barriers that they were created to be? Or do we look at them as the image that we see outwardly? And lastly, there was religious. To violate, that word has to do with violate civilly, ethically, and religiously. They had made a decision, those people, to say, you know what? Forget all this pain and suffering and killing. I'm just going to forget all that. We're going to violate. We're going to be wicked against the covenant of God, the word of God, and line up under this guy. And so they did that religiously also. Bible says, God says, be ye holy. I am holy. It was like, nah. Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. They were like, nah. We get in the New Testament. The Bible says it's a great commission. It says my responsibility is to go out and make disciples. They was like, nah. 
We heard about the good commandment. My responsibility is to treat everybody as I would like to be treated. Love God, love other people. In 2 Corinthians, turn with me there. We're talking about religiously. What is my responsibility? And, and the thing I want you to point out that, remember, all this bad stuff was going on during this time. So they had a viable excuse as to why they were going to do this. God said no. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Religiously. What's my responsibility when it comes to religiously? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. I love that word examine. That word examine in the Greek, it means assay. And that's, a, that's an English word, by the way. That's a scientific word. And I love science. This is a scientific word. It's science. <laughs> I don't think God means science. It's a scientific word. That word there means, in the Greek, is pierazo, but it's a say in the English language. It means it's a scientific word that has to do with, watch this, testing of metal to determine its ingredients and its quality. That's what that word means. But Paul said, when he says examine yourself, he's using a word that's a scientific test. So you're doing a science experiment, okay? A science experiment. Test yourself. A science experiment. This word means to test, to see if what's inside of you, to look at two things. It's ingredients and then the quality of those ingredients. Paul says, examine yourself, test yourself. There should be some frequent and periodic tests where we, first of all, see what's inside. Paul says, test your faith. And so Paul is saying, what I'm supposed to do religiously, so I don't line up in this category, is test my faith. Do a science experiment on my faith so I can see what's inside first. What's my ingredients? What's inside my faith? How does my faith look out? And so I'm going to do a test on my faith. I'm going to examine. I'm going to put on my glasses. I'm going to put on my lab coat. And I'm going to examine my faith to see what's inside. Guess what's supposed to be inside the faith? Hold your finger there. Well, you don't have to hold your finger there. Turn over to the next book, Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells you what's supposed to be inside your faith. Galatians chapter 5, if you go all the way down to verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So when I open up my faith, when I test my faith, when I run a test on my faith, a science experiment on my faith, I should see fruits of this, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the question is, you need to do a fruit test. When the last time you've done a fruit test? Fruit test is when I'm going to take my faith and I'm going to test it out. Fruit test is real simple. So I'm going to look at my love. I'm going to look at my joy. I'm going to look at my peace. I'm going to do all of them. I'm look at my patience. And I'm going to rank that. One to five. Five is, oh my goodness, when it comes to love. That's my thing. The question is, where would you rank yours? Where's your love at? What does it look like if you had to do the chart? Are you stressful a lot? Do you worry a lot? There's always something going on and you just can't get a peace of mind. Do you have patience with people, with your family members, with your brothers, your sisters, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your parents, with your uncle, with your aunt, with your mother, with your friends? Where's your level at? Paul says, do a science experiment, test your faith out to, first of all, see what's inside. Make sure you got love inside your faith. Because if you don't have love inside your faith, guess what? You don't have the faith because that's a fruit of the spirit. If I walk up on an apple tree and I see a bunch of oranges, guess what? 
That's an orange tree. That's not an apple. It's real simple. So if you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself one who followed the word of God, a covenant, and you got no love, guess what? You're not a Christian. Bible. If you call yourself a Christian, I love God, I love you, I follow God all my life, I'm a Christian, I know when the trumpet blow, I'm going to go to heaven. If you ain't got no patience, but listen, I'll cuss a person out quick. That's just my MO. Guess what? You're not a Christian. Because the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, test to see what's inside. And if you don't have patience inside, you're not a Christian. So you need to test yourself and make sure that you get some patience. I'm serious. Run a, run a little test on yourself. Look at Galatians 5, and, and later on today or this week, so I'm just going to rank, see where I am. Paul said, test yourself to see what's inside. Examine yourself. And in doing that, I could know if I am of the faith. Why? Because this is a responsibility that I have if I say I'm a believer and follow the covenant, the word of God. That means I have an ethical responsibility. I have to make sure I have principles that I'm going to live by. I have a civil responsibility. That means that I'm going to treat people a certain way. And I have a religious responsibility that I'm supposed to line up under the word of God. And I need to test my religious responsibility, which is my faith, and make sure it's got the ingredients that are supposed to be in there. And once I make sure I have those ingredients, those seven things, I need to look at the quality. So you can go to orange tree out here and say, orange, that looks good. And you crack the thing open and it's rotten on the inside. Well, it's got bugs and worms on the inside. You don't want to eat that. It's an orange. It's got the fruit. It's got the ingredients. But the ingredients are just inside. The quality is pathetic, nasty. Oh, I got patience up to this point. If somebody do that, I'm going straight off. Oh, I got peace when everything is about here. But when he come out of his mouth and he say that, it's just stress all of a sudden. I just lose it. Girl, when she say this and when she does this and when she act like this, I lose my mind. I get so nervous. I get anxious. I, I start sweating. I want to fight. I want to throw something. You need to test your faith. Make sure it has what the scripture says your faith is supposed to have. And I need to make sure that the quality is there also. These people had made a decision that they were going to violate these things. We, as followers of Christ, we need to fall into this category. Because the opposite of those people who decided they were going to violate the covenant ethically, civilly, and religiously, the opposite of those who said they knew their God and they decided to stand firm and do. And next time we're going to look at what those people did. What was the contrast between those two people that was going on in the Old Testament, going on during Daniel's time, oh, I'm sorry, in, in the future of Daniel's time. So I want us to remember, guys, three things. Don't violate the covenant. Make sure you got principles. Write them down. Make those decisions because I'm telling you, when those things hit, when you get to college and ain't no mom and dad around, when you go somewhere and ain't no wife around, ain't no husband around, when you go somewhere and it's just so much and there's so many things going on in your life and you have a decision to make, it's hard right then to make the right decision unless you've already determined we have to look at people as image barriers of God. So I can't let that person tick me off all the time. I can't let that person drive me crazy because they are an image barrier of God and I have to look at them through their eyes with kindness, with a tender heart, and forgiving them, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. That's what that verse says. You got forgiven. So you're dirty, stinky self. 
then do the same for others. And then religiously, I'm supposed to test my faith. I challenge you to test your faith. Look at those ingredients. Make sure you got all those ingredients. Make sure I have all those ingredients. And then let's look at the quality of those ingredients. Where do they rank? You know what? I'm good on joy. I'm a peace. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not, that might be a tool. I might be a little too peaceful to a fault. Some things I should be stressed out about, I'm probably not. Talk to my wife about that. Patience. I had a lot of patience when I was younger. This is Olu talking right now. I'm noticing the older I get, this thing is dropping. <laughs> like, I get mad at stuff. I'm like, why am I mad at that? Like, there's no reason to be mad at that. So I'm working on that. I'm working on the quality of the things I have. Why? Because Paul says we got to do that as the body of Christ. Let's do that. And as we do that, we will leave, not be under this category, but we'll, under the people who, we'll be under the people who know their God and we can live a life holy and pleasing to God. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that even in the Old Testament, we can look at practical things of how we should live today. I pray that you help us, God, be a people that's set apart, a people that's sanctified, a people that's holy, a people that don't look like the other people, don't act like the other people, don't make decisions like those who are violators of your covenant, God. But that we will infiltrate this world with the fruit of the Spirit, with who you are, who we are in Christ. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.